Good evening. Welcome to the Talk It Out podcast. My name is Neil Bailey Harper, and tonight I am in focus with Dr. Feelgood. The music I'm listening to comes from the great Curtis Mayfield. His 1972 soundtrack to the movie Superfly. This song is Pusher Man. I believe six months after 45 was elected, he, in his talking point kind of policies, he implemented the talking point policy about having uh, seen ep- opioids as a epidemic in the United States of America. And let's be real, opioids are an epidemic in the United States of America. Opioid deaths are. But, in true with the custom and the con man that 45 is, there have been no real actions put to this. None. As the year 2017 proves in the cost of human lives in our country. Um, I've been hearing about these opioids for years and... I had to break it down for myself to understand a lot of things. Um, I remember once having a toothache, or having a tooth taken out, or having a root canal or something, maybe about 15 years ago, or 12 years ago, and I'm working, um, and I'm getting up to go to work, and I was giving the pills from my doctor. It was Oxycontin. Um, I took a pill, and got up, and was getting ready to go to work. I noticed a wooziness headed to my front door. And then I noticed when I got to my car, I was having trouble putting the key in the lock. I was having trouble putting my key into my car door, just couldn't center it right. And I went back and I called the school that I was headed to and the secretary at that school was the wife of a doctor. And I told her what I had done, and I don't think I was going to make it. She said, what did you take? And I told her, she said, get your ass in bed. That was my one and only experience with Oxycontin, and maybe my one and only experience with an opioid. Um, Here's the deal. For me, I had to understand. I know a lot of us hear about this, but I wonder how much of it we really understand. Opioids are basically... Um, That's a drug that's created to connect with the opioid receptors in our body. Hence why they become so addictive. They latch on to receptors in our body that's built just for them. Um, Four in particular. Fentanyl. Codeine. Heroin. The street opioid drug, which is now the lower end of the scale. Oxycodone. Um... And it's another morphine. Now, these were supposed to be end of life or ease your pain on your way out drugs. They are heavily addictive. Fentanyl is either 10 to 50 times more powerful than heroin, which makes it 10 to 50 times more addictive. These are the opioids. Here's the thing, y'all. Um... These drugs are pushed legally in an, in, in an illegal way. Okay? Pushed legally in an illegal way. 
And we will discuss the Sackler family in a few minutes. Um, think about this. In 2000, well, 1999, there might have been 8,400 something deaths in the United States through illegal, I mean, through overdose of prescription drugs, including, but they also include heroin in that. Um, the real part of heroin's part of it was only 3,000, though, but 8,000 total. 18 years later, 2017, 47,000 people have died in the United States from opioid overdose. So, 18 years ago, 8,000. 2017, 47,000. So, we want to scream about a wall killing people. Um, One of my last podcasts was about white-collar crime. This is white-collar crime at its highest. And here's how this thing works. They got it. It's an old formula. I'm going to talk about the Sackler family now. Three of them in particular. Mortimer, Arthur, and I think Robert. Um... Mortimer, Morty, was a doc, was a psychiatrist. Um, the other two were medical doctors. Um, Morty went, served in the Korean War. This is how all this shit figures in my mind. He served in the Korean War. This again is Curtis Mayfield, Freddie's Dead, Superfly soundtrack. Um, so he's in the Korean War and he's basically seeing how these people are suffering, how the soldiers are. His two brothers are medical doctors. They had a small pharmaceutical company based, I believe, in Greenwich, Connecticut, um, and was financed by Arthur, one of the brothers who was a doctor. Now, when Arthur passed in 1987, this company was very small. The other two brothers, one doctor left, one psychiatrist left, by 1996, they produced the drug oxycodone. This small pharmaceutical company, and this was 1996 that this was introduced on the market. In five years, they had made $3 billion in sales from their company. 80% of their sales due to the product oxycodone. Five years. The, The diabolical part of my mind says that What did this Morty guy see in the Korean War that we saw in the Vietnam War where morphine was there to to ease pain and it became very addictive? Here's the other thing, too. I understand about oxycodone and opioids. They were meant for severe pain use, but within five uses of any of these opioids, you can become addicted. Or close to being addicted. You can want that thing every day after only using it five times. Hey. Crack came out. I saw friends change overnight. It also kept me away from it because I don't want to be making love to a drug. I had my issues. That wasn't going to be one of them. So after five uses, you can become addicted to this. Here's the other thing, too. This is not a street thing. You go into the doctor's office to get this, and then it pushes you to the streets. It pushes you to the streets because they cut you off. What Morty and his brother did was 
through aggressive marketing. They put money in a lot of doctors' pockets, a lot of uh, distribution, medical distribution companies in their pockets to push this drug more than anything. And they lied about the ability to string, to string you out and pull you in and the pull that these opioids had. They flat out lied. And again, we talk about enablers. Again, it's, sadly, it's always back to the money. In this country, the enablers were the doctors, were the distribute the salespeople, were, were all these organizations because they saw money and they saw return money. And as a psychiatrist, I'm thinking this evil fuck saw how he can get people to keep coming back. You know what? This is no different than false or not the premise of original gangster. You've got Frank James going around killing his own people with heroin. But at the same time, throwing money around. So he's being a bad guy and a good guy at the same time. But he's connecting people to something that most of them can't get away from. And then he's feeding off of that for the rest of his life. 30% of people who get into opioid use become addicted. 70% don't. 70% might need that drug still. But again, we allow lies and this kind of situation when it's white collar crime. We go after anybody selling heroin on the street. What's killing people I found out in the last couple of years just from conversations with people and a little reading is that people get hooked on fentanyl and then they're taken off of it. The closest thing to that is, is heroin, street heroin. But when you go to get that, it's not the same potency as the fentanyl. So thereby, you don't know how to use it correctly, and boom, you overdose and you're gone. Now, if I'm wrong, please hit me up, guys, and correct me on this. This is just the way I see it. But what I'm also seeing is that this is not the first time this has happened in our society. But they're given a pass because they looked at it as philanthropists. And you know what? They build this up. They take that money over the years and they help this and they help that and they help this. So in the mind of, of the common man, it's how can they be doing so bad, doing bad when they're doing so much good? Easy. You got extra money. Today, a lawsuit settlement was released, was announced with Purdue Pharma, which is the company created by the Sackler family. Um... For $270 million to help with clinics and all that. Okay, the AG from New York, Latita James, said, fuck that. No, that's not good enough. Because here's the, here's the game. Here's the game, y'all. 10, 15, 20 years, I make billions. I know I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong, but I'm making billions. And I'm feeding that money back into the community a little bit. But I'm more feeding that money to my white-collar friends. They ain't got to be white, just white collar friends to keep everything away from me. When the shit finally hits the fan, what's 270 million after I've made 10 billion? And again, I come out looking like a good guy. That's evil. That's preying on society just for money. It's as simple as that. We want to lock up a weed dealer. 
And we do. Thankfully, that's changing a little, but we will lock up weed dealers. Opioids not aren't killing teenagers in the streets. They're killing middle-aged moms and their kids. Those kids who used to go to the medicine cabinet, which we've seen in the movies so many times, and they had fun taking all the pills. Yeah, no. These kill you. And we've allowed it because people make money. So the Sackler family now wants to get off looking good, but A.G. James says, no, no, no. She revised the lawsuit. And rightfully so. And without going over the principles of the lawsuit, here's what she wants. She wants the distributors to not only pay and set up claims around the world, but they should be going to jail. She wants the Sackler family for, for, for funneling this money in a different area. Fraud. They should go to jail. She wants... Okay, let me give you a small example. Williamson, for West Virginia. There are two clinics... Two pharmaceutical clinics, four blocks from each other. In one year, 2017, they distributed over 21 million pills. 16, 17 million of them opioids. In one year, two clinics, four blocks from each other. The population of Williamstown, Williamson, West Virginia, is about 4,000. Less than 4,000 Something like 3,200 So in a town of 3,200 With two pharmaceutical clinics Four blocks away from each other Two regional distribution Drug companies Had had funneled through 21 million Pills And the population of this this Place is 3,200 people That's hustling that's hustling. Anybody who knows anything, it's just hustling. I'm the big guy. I got this shit. I funnel it down to you. You make your money. You put it on the street. And after I cut you off, then you got to go for it by yourself. So there's usually one person who can always get the prescription refill. Why the doc? Why don't the alarms go off? And she's also suing the, the people who are supposed to monitor this kind of thing because you can't tell me this makes sense. This again is Curtis Mayfield, diamond in the back. Go back to the same time 45 was talking about the emergency crisis of opioids in this country. Well over a year ago, in 2017, what he was going to do, that call a national emergency for the opioid crisis. Can anybody tell me one thing that's happened? One thing tangibly that has really happened one concrete piece of anything that's happened since he declared a national emergency on opioid addiction I ain't got that much time y'all and sadly the people that is hurting don't have a lot of time either it's something they went into not understanding and for some people if you don't understand it from the beginning it catches hold of you you can't fight back Again, last year, probably, well, the same, if I say 2017 again, at least 17, 18,000 people died of, on opioid overdose. 
that's either from the people who taking it, from the people who used to take it, who trying to get that, chase that dragon and get that feeling again, or from you going, from somebody going into somebody's medicine cabinet and taking it for the first time and then hooking on it. And then these guys become pushers. And all doctors do is sign prescriptions and get paid. We allow shit to happen. Because we love our children. Now, we love money. And hopefully, this new group of uh, congressional representatives feel this because I will say this it hits everybody. Opioid addiction, there's not many degrees of separation from me to somebody I know. And it's probably the same in your situation. So, first, it starts with understanding the issue. Secondly, is understanding who's responsible for the issue and making them pay. And thirdly, changing the game. Have a good day, everybody. Good day. And welcome to the Talk It Out podcast with Neil Bailey Harper. I am Neil Bailey Harper. That is Tony Bennett. I'm here tonight in focus with the joy of doing absolutely nothing. You would be surprised when you do absolutely nothing how full your day can be. Thanks for listening. I hope you like the podcast, want to share it, and would like to subscribe to it. The music I'm listening to this evening begins with the, my personal opinion, the greatest singer that I've ever heard. I'm not going to say it has ever lived, because I haven't lived that long. The greatest singer I've ever heard. The great Tony Bennett. Along with uh, one of the most pleasing piano sounds I've ever heard. Mr. Bill Evans. It's Waltz for Debbie. I hope today finds you well. If not well, you're getting better. Listen, um, I want to talk about doing nothing. You find you're doing so many things when you're doing nothing. Um, It's okay. But let me get to this sidebar I have first, though. I would like for you guys that listen to me, if you listen to me on a regular basis... Or if you like to go back, you will find a podcast called, actually two podcasts called Dr. Feel Good, um, where if I rail about anything since I've been doing this for five years, it's been the Sackler Brothers. Well, Netflix has a show out now called Painkillers, which is basically the story of the Sackler Brothers, the biggest drug dealers in the world for a long time. Um only thing was they found a way to do it legally if you have an opportunity it's a limited series maybe five episodes if you have an opportunity look at that I will come back with a podcast basically just on that but that's not today today I want to talk about the joy of doing nothing I have been working um, I had a job when I was 11 now I have 11 siblings. I'm the eighth born. Having a job at 11, at 11, 
and in a grocery store is a blessing. I also wrote a short story called uh, The Russian Sailor Hat, which is basically about how I used to use this Russian sailor hat that used to match real flat. And I used to take it to the store with me because it was the perfect, uh, let's, let's see, it was the perfect concealing item that I could use to steal a Tasty Cake honey bun. See, Tasty Cake honey buns fit right into a Russian sailor hat and you never had to open the hat up. You could just slide it in. And I was stealing the Tasty Cake honey bun with my Russian sailor hat one day when the owner of the store called me and I thought I was going to get in trouble, but he asked me if I wanted a job. So I've been working since I was 11 in the same grocery store until I went to college at age 18. Um, and with that in mind, I really, really, really want to thank a few people. More than a few, but the names just... I grew up at 2124 West Master Street in North Philadelphia. And to this day, people that lived on my block or around the corner from me or right next door to me, listen to my podcast. So Mark Ross, Charlene Holly, Eddie Mayer, Val Drayton, Terry Savage, the original Brad, Carol Jefferson, and so, and so many of you guys who were in my neighborhood. I really appreciate the fact that we are still connected one way or the other, and I thank you for listening. Now, let me get to what I'm talking about with doing nothing. So I've been working since I was 11. I went to college. I had a job or two there. Um, afterwards, I started working after college. Here's the thing about college in the 70s. Um, it, me not knowing that I didn't really want to go into a classroom and be a teacher. Uh, my only option was to try and go get a job in the Metropolitan Opera in New York since I was a classical music major. And that didn't fit. If I didn't want to wear a band uniform to march in college, I was not going to put on opera gear. So, and, and quite honestly, I was a passable baritone. I wasn't great. But I worked all the time. We had the work ethic and I was used to having a few dollars in my pocket, which work always provided. So that was just in my DNA. Um, all through my life, I worked. And, and after college, I went to California to work in restaurants. And here's the thing. All that time I was working, I was still calling myself a musician. Well, I was, but... You did things when you work and then your days off are the days that you pursue your passion. It really doesn't help. Um, again, as a young man, I had to balance that survival, not wanting to not be able to provide for myself and then eventually my family with living my passion, I thought I had to balance that. The older I got, the more I realized, the more true I was to myself. Blessings flow. Um, but I've worked my whole life. And when I would take days off, I would 
use them for other things instead of being off. Now, I've come to realize, and not just this year, I've come to realize a long time ago that um, I had to stop feeling guilty for not working. Here's the other thing about working for someone else. Then about 22 years ago, I established a little business um, working for myself. And anyone who who has ever worked for themselves will agree with me, I believe, when I say you work harder when you work for yourself than you ever have in your life. Even though you can take off all the time you want because you're the boss. But that's not how it works. When you're doing something you really want to do, you want to put more time into it. This is Michael Petrucciani. Uh, The song is Autumn Leaves, the French piano player, great piano player. So you find out you're putting more time into what you're doing and you almost feel guilty if you, well, I, again, let me go back to me. I don't know what you feel. I used to feel guilty if I thought about taking a day off. Largely because I'm taking money out of my own pocket because I can't pay myself for vacation days. And just getting into my business, I had the, you call, you know, it can be called persistence. It can be called ambition. But I had the thought that if I slowed down for one day, I might lose step in what I was doing. You know, America has taught us in our, has taught me again. Let me go back to me. I learned, I believed, I don't want to say I learned, I believed growing up watching uh, stories of successful people um, of all colors, but not a lot of my own, but watching stories of successful people and the common thread seemed to be they're willing to do anything to pursue their goals. Um, story of athletes is the most successful ones are the first ones in, the last ones out. Um, you work harder than everybody else. Well, maybe there's something to that depending on your profession. But in a lot of ways, I believe, and I've come to believe, that what America has evolved to in my lifetime, we just became the masters of busy work. We became the masters of busy work. I found that I was in corporate America for a while as a corporate sales manager for the Marriott Corporation and a few others. And instead of making a percentage of the sales you bought in, we were paid on a salary. Yeah. Um, the salary might have been, and this was in the early 90s, late 80s, the salary might have been $40,000 plus incentives if you reached what they called their sales goals. But if I was making $40,000, I was bringing in 600000 to a million dollars worth of business every year. I always wanted a small percentage of that business. I would have traded that any day for a salary. But again, salary creates you being in the space anytime they felt you should be in the space or you needed to be in the space. 
and it kept a ceiling on what you could earn, not on what they could earn. Now, I was fortunate enough to be in a successful hotel, uh, started in uh, Crystal Gateway City, Crystal Gateway in Arlington, and worked at Tyson's Corner Marriott. And we had a pretty good sales team, so we did win regional sales awards. And for that, we got trips to Marriott Properties. Yeah, they were in Puerto Vallarta here and there, but we didn't get checks. We got trips. And the more you stay around, the more busy work you just did. And because you were on salary, you stayed around. Well, eventually I decided to... Mary, I did teach me a lot of things. Uh, Their training was very good. I learned how to become a... How to market share and how to do market share analysis and things like that. So after a while, I decided... Once I had children. And honestly, I held my son in my hands in my arms when he was maybe two or three years old. And I wanted to tell him to be anything you want to be in life. And it was almost like he was looking back at me saying, well, what the hell are you doing? Hotel sales manager with a degree in vocal music and minor in drama. (laughs) And it, whether he said it or not, I thought he said it. So I decided to use that Marriott training and market share analysis to see how many daycares were there within 30 minutes of my home. And this was in the early 90s. I found 300. My kids were at a preschool and the director asked me, knowing that I was a musician, would I trade off tuition for music? Shit, yeah, of course I would. And when I looked and found 300 in my, 30 minutes from my house, I said to myself, well, If I can get 10 of those to, at that time, in the early 90s, pay me $300 to $400 a month to teach music, I wouldn't need another job. I could grow on that. Um, Busy work became, and it was music. So busy work, I left the busy work for a, something I could feel, something I could see. And again, days off, I used for something else, but they weren't days off. And I I think I fell into that mentality of a day off, you take days off when you go on vacation. Okay, everybody can hear me now? That's bullshit. You can take a day off anytime you want or anytime you feel you need to. Now, and I did have one boss, I will say this before I left the Marriott, who gave us what we call mental health days. I don't think the corporation would have liked it, but she was of the mindset that if once or twice a year you want to pick up the phone and say, hey, I ain't feeling it, you can hang up the phone. And that kind of helped because it made, you know, I think I became dependent on a system that was dependent on me. I had a lot of options. I just didn't use them. But when I decided to go out and do what I did, I've been doing it for 22, 23 years. What I'm getting at is there was a time when I felt guilty. Put that on myself if I didn't want to work 
That's whether it was something I created or for somebody else. And that wasn't fair to me. And we don't have to wait till we get to retirement to do this, y'all. See, I think a lot of our mental health gets caught up in, well, it can get caught up in feeling the need to be somewhere every day because you feel like you have to. Um, it's a joy to do absolutely nothing. I find out now when I, and I found this out for a period of time, when I go, when I take a day off, I can go on vacation in my mind anywhere I want if I'm not actually on a physical vacation. Now, I love traveling, but I hate to travel, if that makes sense. I love traveling, but I hate to travel. I hate the logistics of the airports, the this and that, but I love to travel. So I would like to take vacations, but I don't, I'm not a different person on vacations. I don't exhale more on vacations than I do on just a day off in my house. That's the same kind of relaxation I wanted to feel when I wasn't working. Um, and yes, I'm a man of a certain age and a lot of us push ourselves to that certain age where we can say, okay, now I'm, I'm comfortable in my finances. I'm comfortable in my situation. Um, I can take, I can retire, so to speak. Well, I will say this as a musician, I don't feel like there's no such thing as retiring <laughs> to me. You know, your, your art is your art. And, but you, I enjoy the time more when I'm just doing nothing. Because when you, when I just do nothing, I can think about everything. I can think about anything. I can think about me. I realize that, you know, I, I sometimes I sit down, and this is for young people too, and I see young people doing this a lot more than we did. When I say young, 20s, 30s, I see them not having any uh, ill feelings about not wanting to work a particular day or a particular week or a particular job. Now, as long as they understand that they have to, not have to, but as long as they understand that providing for themselves is the real comfort center you want. Do you? This is Ramsey Lewis, the Ramsey Lewis Trio, doing the old Seals and Crofts song, Summer Breeze, from 1973. Um, I still work for myself. I don't work as much as I used to. I can, but I don't want to. And it doesn't take away from my living situation or it doesn't, I don't lose anything. Um, I had the real pleasure today of being in the studio all day long with a friend of mine. Um, his name is Chris Downing. And for those of you guys who want to, want to see an accomplished man and the work he's done, 
I would advise you to go to the website. It's called dreamlifemediagroup.com. Let me say that again. Dreamlifemediagroup.com. Chris and I have been connected for about 35 years. And he worked for himself also very successfully. And we met 35 years ago up here in the Washington, D.C. area when he was just learning what he's what he does now and I was trying to package what I thought I knew then and we actually spent a lot of time with each other being patient with each other because we knew we were living our passions and we could help each other by being there for each other in whatever how we needed Um, just working with him today was a blessing and I thought to myself, because he, he, he got, he told me he got up earlier in, in the day and ate something instead of getting out doing something, went back to bed. And he kind of felt guilty about it. And since I was the only one there, I told him, fuck that. No, you've earned the right to do what you wish without guilt. See, anytime we feel, want to feel guilty about something that we think we need to do. It's probably nothing we need to do. Uh, I, I really said, a, I thank God for that time today because I know this guy when he was becoming the guy he is now. He knew me when I was becoming the person I am now. And when we got together today, we didn't talk about the past. We worked on a project today. We talked about what we want to do in the future. Productivity isn't measured in days in the week. Productivity is your spirit, your passion, your desire, your commitment to your subject. So there are days where, yeah, I don't feel like doing something. Or I feel like if I do something, it's not going to come out the way I want it to come out. So I just simply don't do it. Um, It doesn't take away from me getting something done. Now, you know, part of me sometimes says, well, as a man of a certain age, you need to get done what you want to get done because you never know. You never know at any age. I'll just be honest. You never know at any age. So I'm not putting myself in that box either. This is the blueprint, James Taylor. The song is Mean Old Man. Yeah, I'm all over the place with music tonight, but it all fits to me. Uh, First I did Tony Bennett and Bill Evans, then Michael Petrucciani, uh, Ramsey Lewis, the great James Taylor. The song is Mean Old Man. The last thing I'm ever going to be is a mean old man. I've never been and never will and don't see how people can consistently put the energy in their system of being a mean old man. Um, I'm enjoying my life. Yeah, sometimes I want more. And... I measure out what I want to do to get it. 
I like spending time, firstly, with myself. Secondly, the woman I related to by marriage, my children, and the people I interact with, whether on purpose or by accident. See, the other thing about going on vacations I found is that everybody's in a good mood. Yeah, you go on vacation, everyone's in a good mood. And I often wondered how people might be when they're not on vacation and how seems like I would, I like to bottle that energy and be the same person when I'm not there. See, I don't need a beach to be, to have a part of me come out that doesn't, when the beach is not around. Yes, I love the beach. Yes. But I also love doing nothing. And that's what the beach is about. You go to the beach to do nothing. You can do nothing anywhere and it can be just as enjoyable. Just as enjoyable. It's how we think about the things we do. It's how we feel about the energy we put out and the energy we want back. Um, Chris and I have enough history to fill a season of any reality show you want. But today, we enjoy the work of today. I came home, I played with my dogs. Yeah, there was a few things I could have done. I could have done this podcast last night. And I would love for some of you guys to subscribe so I would be more compelled to do them on a regular basis. But what comes out, comes out. And I love what I do. And I hope you love what you do too. There is a joy in doing absolutely nothing. Enjoy that. Be blessed. Talk to somebody. This is the Talk It Out podcast on Spotify. Have a good day, everybody. Talk to you soon.